Section 6 of Robinson Crusoe in Words of One Syllable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Lovell. Robinson Crusoe in Words of One Syllable by Lucy Aiken. Section 6. I found in the wood where I went to get the sticks for my fire a cave so large I could stand in it. But it made more haste to get out than in, for two large eyes as bright as stars shone from it with a fierce glare. I took a torch and went to see what they could be, and found that there was no great cause for fear, for the eyes were those of an old gray goat which had gone there to die of old age. I gave him a push to try to get him out of the cave, but he could not rise from the ground from where he lay, so I left him there to die as I couldn't save his life. I found the width of the cave was twelve feet, but part of it near the end was so low I had to creep on my hands and feet to go in. What the length of it was I could not tell, for my light went out, and I had to give up my search. The next day I went to the cave with large lights made of goat's fat, and when I got to the end I found the roof rose to two score feet or more. As my lights shone on the walls and the roof of the cave, a sight burst into view, the charms of which no tongue could tell, for the walls shone like stars. What was in that rock to cause it was hard to say. They might be gems or bright stones or gold. But let them be what they may, this cave was a mine of wealth to me, for at such times as I felt dull or sad, a bright scene would flash into my mind's eye and fill it with joy. A score of years had gone by with no new sight to rest my eyes on, until this scene burst on them. I felt as if I should like to spend the rest of my life here, and at its close lies down to die in this cave like the old goat. As I went home I was struck by the sight of some smoke, which came from a fire no more than two miles off. From this time I lost all my peace of mind. Day and night a dread would haunt me, that the men who made this fire would find me out. I went home and drew up my steps, but first I made all things round me look wild and rude. To load my gun was the next thing to do, and I thought it would be best to stay at home and hide. But this would not be borne long. I had no spy to send out, and all I could do was get to the top of the hill and keep a good lookout. At last through my glass I could see a group of wild men join and dance around their fire. As soon as they had left, I took my two guns, slung a sword on my side, and then with all speed I set to the top of the hill once more to have a good view. This time I made up my mind to go up to the men, but not with a view to kill them, for I felt it would be wrong to do so. With such a load of arms, it took me two hours to reach the spot where the fire was, and by the time I got there all the men had gone, but I saw them in four boats out to sea. Down on the shore there was proof of what the work these men had been. The signs of their feast made me sick at heart, and I shut my eyes. I durst not fire my gun when I went out for food on that side of the isle, lest there should be some of the men left who might hear it, and so find me out. This state of things went on for a year and three months, and for all that time I saw no more men. On the twelfth of May a great storm of wind blew all day and night. As it was dark I sat in my house, in the midst of the gale I heard a gun fire. My guess was that it must have been from some ship cast on shore by the storm. So I set a light to some wood on the top of the hill that those in the ship, if a ship it might be, might know that someone was there to aid them. Then I heard two more guns fire. When it was light, I went to the south side of the isle, and there lay the wreck of the ship, cast on the rocks by the night of the storm. She was too far off for me to see if there were men on board. Words could not tell how much I did long to bring but one of the ship's crew on shore. So strong was my wish to save the life of those on board that I could have laid down my own life to do so. There are some springs in the heart which, when hope stirs them, drive the soul on with such a force that to lose all chance of the thing one hopes for would seem to make one mad, and thus it was with me. Now, I thought, was the time to use my boat, so I set to work at once to fit it out. 
I took on board some of the rum, of which I still had a good deal left, some dry grapes, a bag of rice, some goat's milk, and cheese, and put it out to sea. A dread came on me at the thought of the risk I had run on the same rocks, but my heart did not quite fail me, though I knew that as my boat was small, if a gale of wind should spring up, all would be lost. Then I found I must go back to the shore till the tide should turn and the ebb should come on. I made up my mind to go out the next day with high tide, so I slept that night in my boat. At dawn I set out to sea, and in less than two hours I came upon the wreck. What a scene was there! The ship had struck on two rocks, the stern was torn by the force of the waves, the masts were swept off, ropes and chains lay strewn on the deck, and all was wrapped in gloom. As I came up to the wreck, a dog swam to me with a yelp and a whine. I took him on board my boat, and when I gave him some bread he ate it like a wolf, and as to drink he would have burst if I had let him take his fill of it. I went to the cook's room where I found two men, but they were both dead. The tongue was mute, the ear was deaf, the eye was shut, and the lip was stiff. And still the sad tale was told, for each man had his arm around his friend's neck, and so they must have sat to wait for their death. What a change had come on the scene, once so wild with the lash of the waves and the roar of the wind. All was calm now, death had done its work, and all had felt the stroke save the dog, and he was the one thing that still had life. I thought the ship must have come from Spain, and there was much gold on board. I took some of the chests and put them in my boat, but did not wait to see what they held, and with this spoil and three casks of rum, I came back. I found all things at home just as I had left them, my goats, my cats, and my bird. This scene in the cook's room was in my mind day and night, and to cheer me up I drank some of the rum. I then set to work to bring my freight from the shore where I had left it. In the chests were two great bags of gold, some bars of the same, and near these lay three small flasks and three bags of shot, which were a great prize. From this time all went well with me for two years, but it was not to last. One day, as I stood on the hill, I saw six boats on the shore. What could this mean? Where were the men that had brought them, and what had they come for? I saw through my glass there was a score and a half at least on the side of the aisle. They had meat on the fire, round which I could see them dance. Then they took a man from one of the boats who was bound hand and foot, but when they came to loose his bonds, he set off as fast as his feet would take him, and in a straight line to my house. To tell the truth, when I saw the rest of these men run to catch him, my hair stood on end with fright. In the creek he swam like a fish, and the plunge which he took brought him through it in a few strokes. All the men now gave up the chase but two, and they swam through the creek, but no means as fast as a slave had done. Now I thought was the time for me to help the poor man, and my heart told me it would be right to do so. I ran down the steps with my two guns, and went with all speed up the hill and then down by a shortcut to meet them. I gave a sign to the poor slave to come to me, and at the same time went up to meet the two men, who were in chase of him. I made a rush at the first of these to knock him down with the stock of my gun, and he fell. I saw the one who was left aim at me with his bow, so to save my life I shot him dead. The smoke and noise from my gun gave the poor slave who had been bound such a shock that he stood still on the spot, as if he had been in a trance. I gave a loud shout for him to come to me, and I took care to show him that I was a friend, and made all the signs I could think of to coax him up to me. At length he came, knelt down to kiss the ground, and took hold of my foot and set it on his head. All of this meant that he was my slave, and I bade him rise, and made much of him. But there was more work to be done yet, for the man who had the blow from my gun was not dead. I made a sign for my slave, as I shall now call him, to look at him. At this he spoke to me, and though I could not make out what he said, yet it gave me a shock of joy, for it was the first sound of a man's voice I had heard for all the years I had been on the isle. The man whom I had struck with the stock of my gun sat up, and my slave, who was in great fear of him, made the signs for me to lend him my sword, which hung out the belt on my side. 
With this he ran up to the man, and with one stroke cut off his head. When he had done this, he brought me back my sword, and with a laugh put it down in front of me. I did not like to see the glee for which he did it, and I did not feel that my own life was safe with such a man. He, in turn, could but lift up his large brown hands with awe to think that I had put his foe to death while I stood so far from him. But as to the sword, he and the rest of his tribe made use of swords of wood, and this is why he knew so well how to wield mine. He made signs to me to let him go and see the man who'd been shot, and he gave him a turn round first on this side, then on that, and when he saw the wound made in his breast by the shot, he stood quite still once more, as if he'd lost his wits. I made signs for him to come back, for my fears told me the rest of the men might come in search of their friends. I did not like to take the slave to my house nor my cave, so I threw down some straw from the rice plant for him to sleep on, and gave him some bread and a bunch of dry grapes to eat. He was a fine man with straight, strong limbs, tall and young. His hair was thick like wool and black. His head was large and high. He had bright black eyes. He was of dark brown hue. His face was round. His nose was small, but not flat. He had a good mouth with thin lips, which could give a soft smile, and his teeth were as white as snow. End of section 6. Recording by Tom Lovell.